Good morning, church. Good morning to those uh, on the live stream and special shout out to those here in real life. Y'all risk losing parking spots and wet socks and all that to be here. Uh, really glad that, <laughs> that, that we're here together this morning. Um, so like Justin said, today we're going to pick up the story of Ruth, right? Last week we read uh, how Ruth made this unbelievable commitment to Naomi, to her mother-in-law. She did something that didn't make sense. It was above and beyond. It was sacrificial love. It was, it was really much more than anybody would have expected her to do. And we rightfully applauded her and we celebrated that decision and we were encouraged ourselves to take that type of commitment into our faith walk with Jesus. Um, but here's the thing, her situation didn't miraculously get better after she made this decision. She did this great and wonderful thing, right? And it wasn't at that moment that God said, okay, here's all this blessing. I'm going to make everything good for you. Everything's going to be easy from here on out. You passed the test. That was it. We're all good, right? That's not what happened. The truth is sometimes when we go all in, in, in this type of way, it can put us in some uncomfortable situations. And this is exactly where Ruth is going to find herself in this, in this uh, portion of the story. So Ruth goes with Naomi she goes to Israel, to Naomi's land, and now she is uh, a stranger in a foreign land. She doesn't know the people. She doesn't know the customs. She doesn't know the ways. She doesn't know the area. This is all brand new, and she has nobody else in life except Naomi. She herself is a poor widow. This is not a pleasant situation that she finds herself in. This is a very difficult spot for somebody to be in, especially at that time. So my question is, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever made a commitment to do something and then kind of recoiled a little bit when the reality of that commitment sets in, right? If you've ever offered to help somebody move, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. No matter how you felt when you said you would help them move, the day before that move comes and you realize you got to give up a whole Saturday, wake up early, be in a sweaty box truck, moving furniture up and down stairs for only a couple slices of pizza. <laughs> right? Now the commitment feels a little different. The reality of the commitment sets in. Or maybe you agreed to preach a sermon and that sermon ends up landing the day after a nor'easter. And you have to dig out your car in Staten Island and go all the way over to Sunset Park, Brooklyn. <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> but we make commitments, and then we have to deal with the reality of those commitments. And that's what we're going to look at today, right? Because the same thing happens with our commitments with Jesus. Sometimes we, we, we wrongly think that because we commit to Jesus, there's going to be no unpleasantness in our life. Because we commit to Jesus, everything that that leads us to do is going to feel good. And we're going to be skipping with Jesus through ro uh, 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 fields of roses and tulips. And it's just going to be a, a wonderful, great time. But if you've been following Jesus then you know that's not always the case. And so here are the two questions we're going to answer today. The first is what do we do in these times? How should we respond? What should we do when we make a commitment to Jesus and that commitment puts us in an uncomfortable place? 
And the second question we're going to answer is how should we expect God to respond in these times? And so with that said, let's uh, get into the scripture. If you have your sheets, if you're at home, uh, we're reading from, I forgot where we're reading from. Ruth 2, 1 through 12. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go glean, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So a little bit of context here. Ruth is going to glean. Let's talk about what gleaning is for a second, because this is not like a concept that that's familiar to us today. Gleaning uh, meant that she was going to the fields she was going to somebody else's field, and she was picking up the leftover grain, right? It was a time of harvest, and God had made a provision in the law that said that if you have a field, if, you have, uh, if you're a farmer, when it's time for you to harvest, you weren't allowed to harvest 100% of what you grew, but you had to leave some leftover for people who needed help, for people who were in tough situations, for people who couldn't provide for themselves to be able to come and to pick up what was left over. So there were two rules. One, the first rule was that you couldn't, uh, you couldn't harvest to the borders, Right? So you had to leave a little bit around the edges for people to come and glean. And while you were harvesting, anything that you dropped, you had to leave there. You couldn't come back for it. You couldn't pick it up. And that was so that the, the people who were poor, poor widows like Ruth and Naomi, would be able to come and harvest and have food and have some type of provision. And so that's what's happening here. Ruth is going to glean because she needs to eat. She needs, her and Naomi need food. There's nothing divine, there's nothing miraculous, there's nothing wild about this. The reality of the situation is they need to eat. This is the, 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 the best way for a widow to get food in the position that they're in. 
And so the first thing that I want us to look at here, the first thing that we need to realize before we answer the two questions we posed earlier, is that God is active in the affairs of his people. Why do I say that? Well, the entire book of Ruth, while it is a very dramatic book and it is a novella, it's kind of unremarkable at the same time in the middle of the rest of the Old Testament, right? Ruth is a book about regular people doing regular things. Ruth and Naomi needed food, so she went to glean. Ruth and Naomi's husbands died, so they had to make a decision on where they were going to go live. Like, it's very regular, basic, everyday type of stuff. Think about the rest of the Old Testament. You have plagues. You have God parting the Red Sea, drowning an entire army. You have Noah building a boat when there's never been rain, and God sends a flood and wipes out all of humanity. You have David uh, killing a giant with a stone and then cutting his head off and holding it up in front of the whole army. You have Daniel thrown into a lion's den. You have his homies thrown into a furnace to be burned alive. The Old Testament is full of these like spectacular stories. And then in the middle of all that, you have Ruth, who's gleaning for wheat because she needs food. It's a story of everyday people doing everyday things. But what we can see from our vantage point is that God was active in all of it. God was very present through everything that was happening in this story. See, sometimes we're conditioned only to look for God in the miraculous. We're conditioned to look for God in the, uh, in the, in the, the emotional feeling of his presence. We're conditioned to look for God in the miracles, in the healing, in the prophetic word. And God is in all these things and praise God when he does that. But God is also in the everyday. God is also in you digging out your car to come to church on a Sunday morning after a snowstorm. God is also in you doing your taxes. God is in you making dinner for your family. God is in the everyday. He's not only in the miraculous. He is ever present in our lives. We, like Ruth, have been woven into the story of God redeeming his people. And he is present and active in all of our lives, in every situation. You see, I love verse three here. Verse three is such a pivotal moment, not just in, in this story, but in all of history. Because when Ruth and Boaz meet, that's the union that needs to happen for God to bring about the family line that's gonna bring King David. And God's gonna use King David's family line to bring about the Messiah, to bring salvation to the world. This is one of the most important things that ever happened in the history of the world. And it's written as a coincidence. It's written as happenstance. It's written like this. Ruth just so happened to come across the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. There was nothing divine. The heavens didn't open up. There wasn't a special light that guided Ruth to this part of the field. When Boaz sees Ruth gleaning, he doesn't get a word from God that this is going to be a, a person I'm using to bring about the Messiah. He doesn't, none of that happens. To them, it's just coincidence. To them, it's just happenstance. But we know that God was going to use this to bring about the Messiah, to bring salvation to the world. 
And so what seems insignificant to us in our daily lives, can it actually be that God is orchestrating something, that God is moving, that God is active, that God is present, that God is setting something up that we just can't see yet? Now, if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, then maybe you have the benefit of some hindsight. See, let me tell you a story. I, 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 was, I was thinking recently about uh, 12 or 13 years ago, I got invited to a youth conference to rap. They were doing a concert. It was an all-day conference. At the, end of the concert, um, at the end of the conference, they were gonna do a concert to end everything off. It was called Kicking It Old School. It was a youth leadership conference. At the time, I was in a Christian rap group with, with my friends, which is the cringiest thing to say. I don't enjoy saying that out loud, but it's the truth. I will never say the name, and I've done a real good job of scrubbing it from the internet, but if you're very kind to my wife and bribe her with the right things, she's about the only one who can find the videos that I haven't been able to delete. <laughs> but I got invited to rap at, at this concert. This was a thing that we did. We were teenagers. We were having a good time. We enjoyed it. Um, but we also enjoyed uh, uh, mentoring and, and, and mentoring young people and youth, people younger than us. And so instead of just going to the concert, I decided to go for the conference all day. I decided to go and help and just see where I could lend a hand, right? Now, mind you, I'm, I'm 19 at this time, which means on a typical Saturday, I'm waking up at 12, 1 o'clock, right? I got no responsibilities, nothing going on in the world. I'm sleeping a lot, especially on a Saturday. But I decided to wake up, drive all the way into the city, go into this school that they were holding the conference in and, and try to help out. And about an hour after I'm there, uh, just, you know, lending a hand wherever I can. I look to the side and I notice that one of my friends is talking to this girl I'd never seen before. Now, true story, this is, this is the first thing I remember seeing this person do. She had an apple in her hand. She took a bite of the apple, not just a regular bite. She took a bite like she was in an apple commercial. It was like, <laughs> right? She chews, she swallows, and she burps out loud in this room full of people she does not know. At least she did not know me, not a care in the world. And I thought it was such an interesting thing. Uh, felt like coincidence, felt like I was just at that time, at that moment, in that place to see this thing happen. I thought it was funny. Now, 13 years later, me and that apple chomping uh, girl, <laughs> Jenny's gonna kill me, <laughs> just celebrated 10 years of marriage, right? <laughs> <laughs> the reason I'm sharing that story is because at the time, I didn't think anything significant was happening that day. I thought I was just going to help out at a youth conference. I had done this many times before. I would do it many times after. I wasn't expecting the, the, the course of my life to change. I wasn't expecting for God to introduce me to the person who would later be my wife. It was an everyday, regular thing. But in hindsight, I know that God wanted me to be there. I know that God orchestrated me being there and being there early and being in that room and watching that, that, that scene unfold. Could it be that God is moving in the everyday, regular parts of your life? And so that's the backdrop for what we're going to talk about today. In order to answer these two questions, we need to understand that God is active in everything. 
And so now let's look at the first question that we pose. What should we do when the commitments we've made to Jesus put us in difficult situations? The answer is simple. It's easier said than done, but in principle, it's simple. We remain steadfast. We don't look to the left or to the right. We don't stutter step. We don't pivot. We continue moving forward in our commitment. This is what we see Ruth doing. She's She's facing a really harsh reality, and we just see her double down on her commitment. She doesn't change her mind when she gets to Israel and say, actually, this was a really bad idea. I shouldn't have done this. She doesn't say, you know what? Let me go find a husband. Naomi, I took you this far. I hope you can appreciate that, but I got to go take care of myself now. She doesn't say, Naomi, where's your God? Isn't he supposed to be taking care of you and taking care of me? How come we're in this situation? How come things are not looking better for us? Naomi doubles down on her commitment. She got into this situation because she was loving sacrificially, because she was putting others in front of herself, because she was considering uh, the people around her and not just what she needed. And so now that the situation continues to be difficult and considerably more difficult than it was, she's just gonna continue doing the same thing, loving sacrificially, putting others before herself. She says, Naomi, I'm not gonna ask you to go to the field. You're my older mother-in-law. I'm gonna go to the field and I'm gonna make sure we have some food. And we can apply this to our Christian life. We can apply this to our walk with Jesus. When things get hard, when things don't go how we expected them to go, when our commitment to Jesus has put us in a tough spot, we should just continue in our commitment. If you've committed to the way of Jesus, then every day for the rest of your life, in every moment, in every situation, at every, at every junction point, you should continue to stay committed to the way of Jesus. You see, I think this is sometimes hard for us to understand because the pervasiveness of the prosperity gospel has really made it difficult for us to weather the storms of life with Jesus, right? And even if you haven't been directly impacted by the prosperity gospel, it's so seeped into every nook and cranny of the Western church that we're all impacted by it in some way, shape, or form. And a lot of us carry the belief that when we follow Jesus, everything should be great, fine, and dandy. And if it's not, then there's something wrong. But the gospel Jesus preached actually said the opposite. The gospel Jesus preached said that we're going to face hardship, we're going to face difficulty, we're going to face persecution. Things are not always going to be fine and dandy, but we should remain committed, remain steadfast to him at all costs. Jesus says, if you put your hand to the plow, if you come to work, if you come to follow me and you look back and you consider turning back on the decision you made, then you were not worthy to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus, like Tiff said last week, is demanding our all-in commitment to him at all costs, at all times. And so if committing to, to follow the way of Jesus Uh, has caused you to say, be more generous with your time and money. And now you're a little more tired and you have a little less financial cushion than you like. Then what should you do? 
you should continue committing to the way of Jesus. If committing to the way of Jesus has caused you to put aside some unhealthy relationships, and now at nighttime, when everything's off and all the sound is down, you're feeling a little bit lonely, what should you do? You should continue committing to the way of Jesus. If committing to the way of Jesus has caused you to put aside some unhealthy coping mechanisms and some maybe substances that you're using to numb your pain and deal with the trauma that you have, and now you're feeling that pain and trauma more intensely, then what should you do? You should continue committed to the way of Jesus. No matter what your commitment brings, we are called to continue steadfast in this commitment. See, I've been following Jesus for just about half of my life now. And what I found is that in following the way of Jesus, I've had to walk with him through joy and through depression, through hope and through despair, through peace and through anxiety, through feast and through famine, through poverty and through through financial comfort. And hopefully one day I get to follow him through immense riches. Can I get an amen? But no matter what life throws your way, remain committed to the way of Jesus. See, growing up, I played baseball. Baseball is a great sport for a chubby Spanish kid because you only move in short bursts and then you get a lot of time to catch your breath. It's a lot of standing around and then a little bit of running. But something you learn when you're playing baseball is that as you run the bases, you're never supposed to look at where the ball's at. You hit the ball and you run to the base. You're committed to getting to that base at all costs. And it doesn't matter where the ball's at. You're not even supposed to know. You're looking at two things. You're looking at where you're going and you're looking at the coach. And the coach is going to tell you if you need to slide If you need to, if you got plenty of time and you could just stand up and hit the base, he's going to tell you if you got extra time and you need to keep going, but you're never looking at the situation around you. You're looking at where you're going and you're committed to getting to that destination at all costs. You're putting 110% to getting to that base. And this is the way we're to follow Jesus. Go where he's called you to go 110%, not looking at the storms of life, but looking only at the coach because he's got a better vantage point than you. He can see the field more clearly than you. You've got a limited scope when you're running the bases, but the coach can see the whole field. The coach understands what's happening beyond what you can see. And so when life feels sketchy, when it feels uncomfortable, Because of the commitments you've made to Jesus, beloved, don't turn away from those commitments. That's not a signal that things are wrong. That's just a signal that life is life. That's just a signal that sometimes following Jesus pushes against our our sin nature. It pushes, pushes against our flesh. It pushes against the things that we want. It's not a signal that things are wrong. It's not a sign to bail and jump ship. These are the times where you remain steadfast more than ever. You put your head down and you run to the base. And so we remain steadfast in our commitment to Jesus, no matter how uncomfortable things get. But what should we expect from God in these times? 
right? After all, we're following God. We're following what God called us to do. We're following his call, his voice. What should we expect from him when things feel uncomfortable? Is it that he's, he's asleep? Is it that he's not aware? Is it, that he, is it that he went to deal with somebody else's situation real quick and he just lost sight of yours? No, what we can expect from God is that he will be our refuge. Even when things are uncomfortable, God will be our refuge. See, Boaz says something real interesting to Ruth at the end of their exchange here. Boaz says, the Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have taken refuge. What's funny here is that it's, it's, it's very likely that Ruth didn't even understand what this meant. When Ruth told Naomi, I'll go where you go, your people are going to be my people, I'll die where you die, your God is my God. She wasn't making some big religious conversion. But nonetheless, her actions had taken her into the refuge of the almighty God. And Boaz recognizes this. And Boaz is saying, you are taking, you've taken refuge under the Lord. He'll protect you. He'll care for you. He'll cover you. You see, the picture of, of being protected under the wings is a picture of a bird, of a mother bird protecting her young, right? Spreading her wings over, protecting them. It's a picture of safety. And, and we're all, many of us are from the East Coast, from New York. I don't want you to think of a pigeon. Because I'm pretty sure I could body a pigeon if I had to. I might get a little cut up but I think I can handle a pigeon. But I want you to think of an eagle. I want you to think of a six-foot wingspan, of razor-sharp talons, of a razor-sharp beak. That's one of the safest places you could be is under the wing of an eagle. A predator would have to be out of its mind to try to go after an eagle's young. Predators can't even really get to eagle nests, and if they did, they'd have an even bigger obstacle of, of, of fending off this vicious mother eagle, this bird of prey, this apex predator. This is the picture that we're given of God's protection for us. And if this is the way that God protects us, then where else would we want to be? It doesn't make any sense to be under the refuge of anything else if the almighty God says he's going to protect us the way an eagle protects her young. I'm putting my bets on God every time in that situation. In every difficult scenario, that's where I want to be. But ultimately, this becomes a question of where do you find your refuge? See, refuge is a place of safety. It's a place of protection. It's a place of comfort. It's a place of provision. Your refuge is where you're going to run to in times of trouble. If you're outside and there's a thunderstorm brewing, then you're going to try to get to your house as quickly as possible. That's your refuge. You're going to go to where you feel safe. 
you're going to go to the thing that you expect to protect you from the elements. And so we'll say it again, where do you find your refuge? Because the truth of the matter is, many of us don't put our refuge in God. We don't find our refuge in God. Maybe we find some of our refuge in God. But when things get real tight, when things get get real sketchy, when the situation gets real sticky, you know where your heart goes. I know where mine goes. And wherever you run to in times of trouble is the place that you're finding your refuge. And any refuge that is not under the wings of the almighty God is going to ultimately fail you. And it doesn't matter what that is. That can be money. That can be people. That can be places. That can be substances. That could be the internet. That could be Netflix. Whatever you you take refuge in that is not under the wings of the God of God Almighty is going to fail you. And if it doesn't fail you in this life, beloved, it's going to fail you in the next. Only God can give us the protection that we need. Only God will give us the provision that we need. Only God can take care of us through all the storms of life. And so we can remain steadfast in our commitment to Jesus because we know our refuge is in the Lord. Because we know that at the end of the day, come what may, hell or high water, I'm protected by God Almighty. And so I don't need to look to get myself out of a situation. I don't need to look for more safety because I have safety in God. And so I think a fair question is, what about suffering? Right? I think a fair question is, is what happens when I don't feel protected? What happens when I don't feel like I have what I need? I don't feel like I have the provision I need. What happens when I'm in lack? What happens when I have need? But consider this. What if what you need most is not more money in your wallet, and it's not that promotion, and it's not that relationship, and it's not that bigger apartment, and it's not that house, and it's not that backyard. God cares for you, and God, more than anybody else in the world, more than you yourself, knows exactly what you need. So when God says, I'm I'm your refuge, I'll provide for you, I'll protect you, he knows what you actually need, even better than you do yourself. See, this is, this is the point of, of, of Philippians 4.13, probably the most quoted and most misquoted scripture in all of the Bible. When Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's not saying, I can, I can get this promotion through Christ who strengthens me. He's not saying, I could buy this new car through Christ who strengthens me. He's not saying, I can save up for this down payment on a house through Christ who strengthens me. He's not saying I'll find a husband or a wife through Christ who strengthens me. What Paul was saying is that no matter what comes, whether I have a lot or a little, whether I'm full or I'm hungry, whether I'm comfortable or I'm poor, 
I can remain steadfast in my commitment to Jesus because Jesus Christ strengthens me, because God is my refuge, because I have everything that I need in God. And this is the call for us today. And so as we close, let's take a moment. Maybe close your eyes for a second. And let's consider where are you taking your refuge? Is your refuge in the Lord? Are you under the wings of God Almighty? Or is he just in addition to your safety plan? Or is he just a part of the situation? If the storms of life are causing you to run back to other things, if the storms of life are causing you to put your commitment to Jesus on hold, then your refuge is probably never in the Lord to begin with. Any other refuge will fail. It'll fail you in this life and it'll fail you in the next. But God knows what you need and he loves you and he'll provide for you and he'll care for you and he'll protect you and he'll give you the strength to remain steadfast in him. Make your refuge the Lord where you run for safety. Remain steadfast in your commitment to the way of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you search and know our hearts. Our hearts are fickle. They're easily swayed. They look to the left and to the right. Cause us to be like a base runner. Eyes on you. Fully committed to where you've called us to go. And we know we can do this because your spirit strengthens us, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.